All right, 1 Samuel chapter 21. Um, if you'll remember last week, if you're here last week, um, David has done everything he could to try to reconcile with Saul, to try to serve with Saul. Saul hates him. Saul's trying to kill him. Saul even threatened uh, his own son, Jonathan, the best friend of David. And so Saul, uh, because of Saul's behavior, uh, David is now on the run. He's a fugitive, and there's some difference of opinion about how long this period takes that David is really in hiding, moving from one place to another. But it was, it, it was a number of years, to say the least. So it's not just like a temporary thing, you know, where you have a bad day or a bad week. This is going on for years where he's trying to uh, keep his heart right with the Lord and, and wait for God to deal with Saul. So if you look in chapter 21, let's read a few verses beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? Now, uh, just a few things about Nob... Uh, if you look at your map, I thought it'd be good to have a little map today. It's on the back of this page. And it shows you some places that we're have been mentioning and some places that we will be mentioning. Kind of get a, I like when I hear about someone going from one place to another, in my mind I'm wondering how far was that? You know, I just think like that. And so you have Nob right next to Jebus. This is before Jerusalem was even called Jerusalem. And you have Nob there. So David went to Nob. Well, just before this, David had been at, met, went to meet Samuel in Ramah. If you look just above Nob, you see Ramah. And then you, you wonder, well, where was Saul, the king? Where did he hang out? He was held at most of his time in Gibeah. See, see all these places are really close to each other. And you might say, well, how far apart were they? Well, from, from Samuel, where Samuel was in Ramah to Nob was under 10 miles. So 10 miles is not very far. It would be like driving from here to Union. But it wasn't driving. And it wasn't highway. This is very, very rugged terrain, uh, desert-like, much of it. And so, so just so you see this, you see Nob, Ramah, now, at the end of this chapter, while we study on this chapter, David left Nob and went to Gath. See that to the left? Now, that's about, a 40, that's about 40 miles or so. That's, that'd be like from here to Chesterfield or, you know, here to Fenton. And, and the, so that's significant about running the Gath. The other one is, notice it's in the area of the Philistia. This, is where the, this was Philistine territory. This was not Judea. So that was a long ways for David to go, to go to Gath, all the way into Philistine territory. We'll talk about that in a moment. And the next week, in, in the very next chapter, we're going to talk about where David went to Adullam. And you see Adullam right under Judah, right there, where he hung out in a cave. So there's no extra cost for the map. Comes with the lesson. But you, you know me, I like geography. I think it matters where places are, and when I read, it helps me when I read the Bible 
that I can put in my mind where this place was and where they went. So they got, they've gone to Nob, and David has gone there, I believe, on purpose, and he's really looking for help. If you're looking in your notes there on the front page, he was desperate for the most basic supplies. He needed food, he needed weapons, and so he's gone to Nob. Let's read some more, chapter 21 and verse 1. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? Now, Ahimelech doesn't know what David's doing, but I'm I'm confident he knows a lot about David. I mean, after David killed Goliath, the chapters that we studied after that, David's popularity was just increasing. I mean, the people respecting him. He was a man of character. They admired him. And, and, And really... Where Nob is, where Ahimelech is, uh, he would know that. He would know about David's popularity. Now, we don't know that he knew about uh, King uh, Saul being against David. They had become adversary, he had become, made him his enemy. But nevertheless, when David showed up, it, there was something in the, the priest that said, something's not right here. Because he's alone, why is he alone? In verse 2, David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business. Saul the king hath commanded me a business, and he hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee. So he didn't only send him on a business, but it's a secret mission. And what I have commanded, so let no man know the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee. And I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now, does something about that sound fishy to you? What would you call that? Yes, his pants are on fire. Liar, liar, pants on fire. David, we'll talk about this more as we move along, but David... And I think primarily because of his fear, he's on the run. He doesn't have any support. Uh, The king of the nation has basically marked him. It's like he's a wanted man, and so he's looking for help. And so he doesn't know how Ahimelech, the priest, is going to respond to him. So he makes up this story and says that uh, David said, Saul sent me. And uh, it's a secret, what I'm doing. In verse 3, he says, Now therefore, David says to the priest, What is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, and what there is present. Verse 4, And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women. So David saw that the king had bread in his hand. David is hungry. And he said, give me some of that bread. And the king says, this is hallowed bread. Now, just a bit of background, and because I, I think it's important. You know, I'm glad you're here for Bible study. And in Bible study, we ought to study the Bible and think about learning the Bible and so this is not just any bread that the priest had. It's the, it's the, it's the bread from the showbread, from the uh, tabernacle. Uh, it's, 
And the, the lesson here or the, has a passage of scripture. We don't have to turn to that today in, in the book of Leviticus. But if you read in there, part of the process, the ceremonial process for the Jewish people was that the priests would set 12 loaves of bread in the, in the, on the table, six, six in each row, 12, I believe, for the number of the tribes of Israel. And they would change that bread out once a week on the Sabbath day. And it says specifically, if, if we turn there to Leviticus, that the bread, once the bread is, once you transfer it, you put the new bread in, take the old bread out, that the priests were to eat that old bread. It wasn't just for anybody. It, was, it, was, it wasn't common bread. It was sacred bread. It was holy bread. It was bread that was used in the worship of God. And so that's why, he, why and so you, Ahimelech's in a bad place. Number one, I think he respects David and wants to help him. He's hungry. We're going to see in a moment he doesn't even have a weapon. So he wants to help him. At the same time, he doesn't want to break the law of God about the sacred bread. And at the same time, he doesn't want to be disloyal to Saul, the king. So this, he is in a real bind here. And so he says to David uh, in the last part of verse uh, 4, if the young men have kept themselves at least from women, then... So he's kind of putting this stipulation that, you know, and this, again, all these things matter, but we don't have time to go into them in great depth. But, but in the Old Testament, if a person has lain, been with a woman, he's considered uh, to be unclean for a period of time. And it's when it comes to going out to war even, to go out to war. And so, so he's putting this stipulation. This is the Himalek. This is... Uh, Holy bread, I probably shouldn't give it to you, but if you've at least kept yourself clean, then I'll consider giving it to you. And that's, but that's the cause of this language as you're reading it. And a lot of these things may not seem important, but they're in the scripture. In verse 4, the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread... Oh, excuse me, verse 5. And David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out, since I've been on the run, and the vessels of the young men are holy. They're, they've kept themselves from anything unclean. And the bread is in a manner common. And I think that's referring to the fact that this is the bread that's already been, uh, had its week in the, on the table of showbread, yea, though it were sanctified this day in a vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord. It's been removed from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. So just trying to give some explanation about that. So let's look at our notes and talk about some things here that we've I've already gone over. Uh, number four. E, D there on the front page, David was not honest. We mentioned that. He said he made up this story. And uh, in verse number E there, I already mentioned this, these, these table of showbread, these 12 loaves were changed every Sabbath, and the loaves that were removed were only beaten by the priest. 
And so we've covered all that. Verse number G, the priests gave David the bread, which had just been removed from the table and replaced it with fresh bread. So that's, that's really what is going on. And David is needy. He's alone. Now he does have some, it's, it's really unclear here whether he's lying when he says that he's got some other men hid by somewhere else, but, but I can, he was telling the truth, and I can show you that here in a little bit in the scripture. So this is, this is one of David's first encounters after he left and began to run. And, and I believe he went there to uh, where Abimelech was because he thought he would get some help. By the way, I didn't really talk about this, but um, if you have your Bible here in 1 Samuel 21, hold it there, but go to the right. Uh, a little bit to 1 Samuel 22 and here we'll talk about this next week but notice what it says in verse 19 1 Samuel very next chapter 1 Samuel 22:19 and Nob the city of the priests so I just want to mention that because Nob is known as the city of the priests now if, on your map it shows you that it's very close to Jerusalem very close proximity to all the things that are going on and for those reasons, and I put this in the notes and B under the, on the front page, I'm confident that that was where the tabernacle was set up at that time. The tabernacle, the portable place of worship that would move around, but was for hundreds of years at Shiloh. It was at Shiloh when Samuel, when Samuel was dedicated and he served under Eli, and we covered all that in Shiloh. The tabernacle was there for a long time, but then it moved again, and here I believe this is where it's at, and all these priests are there. It doesn't tell us right here, but there are more than 80 priests there. And this place, this knob was called this, the city of the priests. And so David went to that place, I think, believing that he was going to get assistance, believing he was going to get help, and he did get help. So let's drop down now to, to verse 8. Everybody doing okay so far? I think we're covering a lot of stuff, but I really want to give an understanding of what's taking place in David's life and in the life of Ahimelech. Verse 8, And David said unto Ahimelech, and, and is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. That goes back to this lie of his. I'm on the king, I'm on a secret mission. The king sent me out on a secret mission. I can't tell you what it's about. And he sent me out in such a hurry that I couldn't even, he didn't even give me a weapon. <laughs> Isn't that something? This, by the way, this is kind of how dishonesty works. When you tell one lie, a lot of times you have to tell another lie to cover up or go along with the first lie. And, it's a, it's a, and that's exactly where David is at. And so he says, I don't even have a weapon. And uh, the key, in verse 9 it says, And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Eli, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it. For there is no other save that here. And David said, there is none like that, give it me. 
And so the only weapon that he had, the priests, of course, probably didn't have weapons. They weren't armed. Um, the only thing he had was this sword that David used to kill Goliath and apparently was kept there like as a trophy or a relic. Now what does this tell us, though, about Ahimelech? Go back to this chief priest. He knew who David was. He knew that he had killed Goliath. He, he was very aware of that. And so he offered him this sword, which David took. So that brings us to verse 10. So here, here we have really, um, and we'll see this more next week, David is on the run, but he's in a bad place physically, obviously. He's in a bad place emotionally and spiritually as well. He's afraid. He's twisting stories. He's telling things that aren't true. And uh, that's not a good place to be, right? I mean, no matter, no matter what you want to say about it, God does not support lying. He just does not. And so um, if you look, at, I, I forgot to mention this, you're filling in the blanks um, near the end of the front page. We see David's actions. He fabricated this story and it's important to know that God does not condone lying. And he doesn't. And, and you know, in a way, I was thinking about this um, last yesterday or this morning. When In verse 8 where David's telling this story to Himalek and he says, The king's business required haste. You know, that's a true statement, right? The king's business does require haste. If we're on the king's business, we ought to. We ought to be quick about it. We ought to take it seriously. We ought to be about it, and it requires haste. But it's, but it's a true statement that's used to deceive, which makes it a lie, right? Yeah, even when you, you know, people can do that. They can say things that are true, but by saying it the way they say it, they're leaving out the, import, the important part. They're in, like a politician, you know, they have a way, they're really good at dodging the issue, you ask them a direct question, they'll say something else that may be true, but it's unrelated to what they just said. And that's, that's where David is at. And it may look like I'm knocking David, but, but I'm really not trying not to. Now, on the back of this, I just want to take a, or on the second part of the lesson, I just want to look at two things in this passage because I think they really deserve thinking about. The first one is David's dishonesty. And the second one is the Jewish law about eating the holy bread. And, I, and I've, I know that you agree with this. When we read the Bible, I say this often, but when we read the Bible, we want to learn historical information. What happened, where it happened, how it happened, when it happened. Those are all important things. But at the same time, we want to learn about our own lives. We want to learn about things that we may be tempted to do. And so we see here, if you're filling the blanks on that top of that second page, that David's lying was becoming a pattern. And, and it is a pattern, it's, and it won't end here. Um, and I think there are two things that really contribute to it that we know of in David's life. One of them is fear. He was afraid. And the other one was 
He wasn't really seeking God like he should have been. He's on the run, and I'm not trying to be hard on David. I don't know what I'd done if I had been in his place. He's in a bad place. But you're going to see in the next chapter where David was faced with a difficult situation, and the first thing he did was he asked God what to do. Now, Dave, so, and, and we're going to see how Dave, he, and he was in a better place at that time. He's not just running and fearful. He's not just doing things. He's asking God what to do. And I think the reason he's in this place is because he's afraid and he's really not seeking God like he should. And I'm not saying I'd be doing any different, any better. But either way, it's not good to tell lies. It's never right to do what's wrong. Right? The second thing I want to talk about a little bit is this matter of eating that hallowed bread. And it's especially important, significant, because Jesus used this incident in teaching uh, in the Gospels. And let's go, let's go look at that together in Matthew chapter 12. And we'll come back to 1 Samuel. In Matthew chapter 12, the disciples are following Jesus, walking with Jesus. It's on the Sabbath day, the holy day. And I'm getting there. I was in Mark chapter 12, and it didn't even sound like what I wanted to look at. And so let's just read this kind of quickly, but uh, we'll get the point. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were in hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. So here Jesus is being criticized. The disciples are being criticized. They're being criticized for eating, picking corn on the Sabbath day. That would be considered something that did not meet their approval, did not meet their customs. So how did Jesus deal with this? Verse 3. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungered, and they that were with him. Now, two things here I want to mention. Number one is, we said earlier, there's no real, there's no real no way to know for sure in 1 Samuel 21 when David said, I'm on a secret mission, and I have some people that are hiding some other place. That could have just been a second part to his lie. But here Jesus said, and they that were with him. So that makes me think he did have people with him, right? You know, it's, it's really good to compare Scripture with Scripture. You, get, you don't get all the information out of one place, but if you put it all together, you get more information. So anyway, the second thing about it is Jesus is using this as, a, as an example to tell these critical Pharisees that uh, they, uh, God was not upset with the priest for what he did. Jesus was, agree was agreeing with it. Okay, he's going to use him as an example. Keep in mind the disciples are eating bread on the Sabbath day. Verse 4, 
talking about David, how he entered into the house of God. By the way, just another point. There's no way to see for sure in 1 Samuel chapter 21 that the tabernacle was at Nob. It just doesn't say it. It said there were some priests there. But here Jesus said that David went into the house of God. Right? So Jesus himself said that the tabernacle was there. That was the house of God at that time. The Bible's a wonderful book, isn't it? It's just a fascinating book. But, but we have, the more we read it, the more we kind of connect the dots and put things together. Verse 4, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat. It went against Leviticus chapter 24. The priest, only the priest could eat it. So he entered into the house of God, David did, ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them that were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in... Okay, so Jesus is making it clear David was not doing wrong by eating that bread, and Ahimelech was not doing wrong by giving him that bread. Have you ever never read that? He's telling the Pharisees, hadn't you ever read this? And then he brings in another thing, verse 5, or have you not read in the law... How that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. He said, don't you even realize that the priests who are in the temple on the Sabbath day carrying out their duties, killing animals or sacrificing or put, doing things, can't, don't you see that they, in your eyes, they're breaking the Sabbath themselves? And so, of course, the problem with this, a lot of problems with it, but one of them is the Pharisees, had, forgot, had gotten away from worshiping God and they're worshiping their laws. They're just worshiping their traditions. And Jesus is trying to clarify some things, shed light on this. Verse 6, But I say unto you that in this place, in this place is one greater than the temple. <laughs> He's talking about, of course, himself. But if you had known what this meaneth, and here's the meaning behind this, and this is what I just want to emphasize for a moment. But if you had known what this meaneth, and this is a quote from the Old Testament, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Now what is he talking about? You've condemned my disciples who were hungry for eating bread on the Sabbath, but you don't understand something. And this is a real important lesson to think about. You don't understand the Old Testament scriptures that says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. There's something more important than just the letter of the law, and that's showing mercy. Now, I want to come back to this, but then in verse 80 he says, for the, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. He's talking about himself. He's the Lord of the Sabbath day. In another place, in talking about the same thing, he said, the Sabbath was not made... Uh, the Sabbath was made for not for men, but for the Lord, really, basically. It, had a, it has a purpose of worshiping God. So look at our notes here, and we see under number two there, L2, Jesus approved what Elimelech did. Though the law taught that the showbread was to be eaten by the priests, the pressing need for David, showing mercy, the pressing need for David to be fed was a viable exception and not considered sin. Now this, I bring this up because to me, under, 
sort of as an underlying subject, people struggle with this whole subject of the law, obeying the law, how much liberty do we have, can we ever break the law? You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a thing that people go through. And you have people, like every issue, you have people on both sides of the issues that are probably extreme. One of them, one of them is saying, well, none of the thing, none of, the law doesn't matter to us. We're free. We're under liberty. The law doesn't matter. You have other people on the other side that says, the law is black and white, and you, you're never permitted to break the law uh, or to anything of that nature. But in this case, Jesus himself is saying, you know, what, what happened with David and Ahimelech and the law was permissible. And he also said, the d- disciples eating bread on the Sabbath day, eating, not bread, but corn on the Sabbath day, even though in your eyes they were breaking the law, it was a legitimate need they had. So if you look under B, small letter B there, number two, the religious legalists criticized Jesus for healing on the Sabbath and breaking their tradition, and I just threw this in for good measure, when they would approve pulling an ox out of the ditch on the Sabbath. Remember Jesus said that? You get mad at me, Jesus said, I'm paraphrasing. You get mad at me for healing somebody on the Sabbath day when if you got an ox in a ditch, you're going to pull the ox out. You care more about your ox than you do somebody that's been had some disease. And so Jesus was really attacking them at the point of their tradition. And the whole lesson is that mercy is greater than sacrifice. Now, the, um, the only way to me to apply this to our life in a sincere way is to do so with discernment. Because it's, because it's not always to the Pharisees, they didn't have any discernment. This is our Sabbath. We say you shouldn't do this. Your disciples did it. They're wrong. And Jesus said, no, you're wrong. Mercy is greater than sacrifice. Let me give you an example. Now, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law required that every male, every male in the nation of Israel, the entire nation, was required for, on three separate days during the year to appear in Jerusalem, every male. The Feast of the Tabernacles, the Passover, three, ta- three occasions, they were to meet there. And God expected that to be that's That's a given. But maybe there was... So when should they miss? To me, the only time they should miss is that they had a legitimate reason to miss. You know, what if my wife was sick? What if, what if we, had, we just buried a loved one? What if... You know what I'm saying? Those would, that would be mercy and not sacrifice. The Jews couldn't see that. They could only see it as black and white always. Let's bring it into our lives. Now, you're here today. I don't know why you're here today. But I'm going to assume some things about why you're here today. It's the Lord's Day. We, we're not in the Old Testament law. We are in the New Testament era. The house of God is not the temple, the tabernacle. The house of God is the church. It's the assembly. And the same God who told them to meet three times a year tells us to be faithful to the assembly. I mean, right? I mean, would we all agree on that? That's taught in the Bible. 
But is there ever a time when, for mercy's sake, you may have to miss? Well, yeah. What if you're so sick you can't get out of bed? Right? What if, what if, um, what if your neighbor, what if I was getting ready to come to church today? Of course, I'm preaching and teaching today, so that might... But let's say you are. You're getting ready to come to church. You're all ready to come to church. You pull out your driveway, and somebody runs over to your house. Their house is on fire. They're in emergency. Or maybe they said, my husband's just got uh, hurt at work. Could you watch my kids? And you, and you did that for mercy's sake? Then you're not... God doesn't look down and say, you, you should have been in church. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just that's applying this to our life. But that doesn't mean that because my kids are playing ball on Sunday, I have a right to miss church. Or that doesn't mean because, you know, I don't feel good today or maybe I worked hard yesterday and I'm just I'm tired. And that doesn't, that, That's not mercy. And, I, and what I'm saying to you today is, you know, some people could look at what Jesus taught and said and say, well, that means we don't have to. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means we ought to have discernment. We ought to use discernment. And if I, was, if I was sick, and I've been sick a few times. We were sick with the corona, my wife and I back, in, and we were sick, pretty sick. Did I feel guilty for not coming to church? No, I wanted to be in church, but I didn't feel guilty for not coming to church. But if I'd have, just been, if I'd have been sitting somewhere on a, you know, fishing down on the Merrimack and fishing on Sunday and would I felt guilty? Absolutely. You know why? Because I didn't have a legitimate reason not to be here. Now I'm just telling you, that's what all this means to me, this whole thing about um, keeping the Sabbath and how David, Ahimelech was not wrong to give David the bread because there was a pressing need. Now, M there, I've talked a lot and we're running out of time. M, what we see in these examples is not the liberty to ignore or disregard God's commandments, but the responsibility to use sincere discernment in our decision. Everybody see that? It's a good lesson. Now, I'm not saying I taught a good lesson. It's a good lesson from the Scripture. Now, let's, let's wrap this up in chapter 21. I want to do this today. Verse 10. So David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. I showed you Achish... Or, Achish is the king, Gath, on the map. Now, why David went there is not, is not clear to me. This is not just a 40-mile journey. It is that, but it's into Philistine territory. It is to the house, or it's to the city that Goliath is from. Why, would you, why, if you were David, would you run in hiding to the very town that Goliath is from? Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? You can ask David about that one day. And the servants of Achish, the servants of the king, said unto him. Now notice this. The servants of Achish said to him, to the king of Gath, Is not this David the king of the land? Now David wasn't the king, but the, the Philistine territory knew that he was, the, he was gaining in popularity. He was, Saul was the king. David was, Maybe they knew he was going to become the king. Maybe they knew he was respected as the future leader. But anyway, notice this. Did they not sing, talking about the Israelites, to one another of him in dances, saying, Saul hath killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David, when he heard this, laid up these words in his heart. 
and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So David went there, for again, looking for refuge. But when they start singing to him, or talking to him about, it, about this whole episode of when he killed Goliath and the nation was rejoicing, David was afraid. Now he's, he was, uh, verse 12, he's sore afraid. And uh, verse 10, it says he had a fear of Saul, but in verse 12, he's sore afraid. Verse 13, this is great. And he changed his behavior, David did, before them and feigned himself mad in their hands. He acted like a crazy man. And scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. He's slobbering and acting like he's an insane person. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, you see the man is mad? This man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that, that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So David went to this gath, the home of Goliath, and when he finds out that his, his reputation has preceded him, these people in the Philistine nation or Philistine city are rejoicing than are, are not re, re, recalling the great rejoicing at the killing of Goliath. D, David was afraid of Achish and acted like he was insane. Um, and, and by the way, we were just reading, and we don't have time to read it today, but write this on your notes if you have notes. Psalm 56, because in, if you read Psalm 56, at the title of the psalm, it says it was a psalm of David when he, when he was captured or in the city of Gath. It's a great psalm. And there's some really, it's, it's a psalm, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, it's the psalm that has this phrase in it, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. And there's several times that the psalm's title tells us when they were written. So in the principles there, David was going through a very difficult stage of life. To his credit, he sought support and guidance in some good places. He, was, he went to Samuel, he went to Jonathan, he went to Ahimelech, the priest. And um, then the last thing I want to mention, small letter B, we can appreciate the way God does not keep us from seeing the humanity and unwise choices of some of his servants. God does not use us because we're sinlessly perfect or because we've never failed Him. It's His grace that makes any of us worthy vessels. And we should not treat our sins lightly nor believe that we're disqualified because of them. See, David is a good example, as is anybody in the Bible. Moses, Samson, uh, Noah, uh, Abraham. All these people are example of this fact that I'm about to say, and I'll close with this. That God uses people who are imperfect. Does that mean that it's okay to lie? No, it's not okay to lie. But if God could only use perfect people, He wouldn't have many people He could use. Matter of fact, I know exactly how many people He would have. That's not a three, it's a zero. Does that mean we should treat our sin lightly? No. But it doesn't mean either that we should say, well, God could never use me because I have these flaws in my life. God, if God's going to use anybody, it's going to be flawed creatures, right? I feel like we covered a lot of ground today. Maybe tried to cover too much. I hope it wasn't confusing. Let's pray.